0: It's March 9th, 2023, and today we're going to talk about the 10 questions the Minnesota Twins must answer this season. So stay tuned, because that's what's coming up now on Locked On Twins, your team every day. You are Locked On Twins, your daily Minnesota Twins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And hello again, this is Brandon Warren and welcome back to Locked On Twins, part of the Locked On Sports Podcast Network, your team every day. And you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see that at the bottom of the screen. Now, we're going to run through tonight the 10 questions that the Minnesota Twins have to answer this season. Now, some of them will be sooner rather than later, but in some form or fashion, each of these questions needs to be answered, preferably in the affirmative positive sense. Now, before we get started, I want to draw attention to one thing that I'm going to kind of change up here. Uh, be, be Feel free, be free to be active in the comments section, especially beneath this post on YouTube. I'm going to do my best to kind of hang out in the comments. We'll have some discussion and that sort of thing. Um, I want to do my best to chat with you guys, so... Questions you ask there, feel free. I'll do my best to answer them all, or at least as best as I can. And secondly, if you have questions for the show, uh, please feel free. Tag me on Twitter, email, however you can get a hold of me, uh, Pony Express, whatever it takes. Okay? Now, with that said, um, we should just dive right in. These are the 10 questions that the Minnesota Twins must answer this season. First of all, and this is one that I think none of us really know how to address at this point. And it's how much will Byron Buxton play? And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about injuries. There's some questions about injuries. I had a few people submit some on Twitter, so we'll make sure those people get their kudos. But when it comes to how much Buxton plays, it kind of harkens back to last night's discussion about if he'll DH a lot or, If they're the way they're bringing him along slowly in spring training, if that's going to allow them to let him play more uh, positionally during the regular season, I I don't know what the ultimate goal is. And I don't know if they'll go to the same lengths to state that goal publicly as they did last year, based on how they got basically skewered for it. But again, it's going to come down to however much he can play, however much Michael A. Taylor can play. And if Buxton, he's basically the pivot point for this team. When he plays, they win. When he doesn't, it's a lot much more difficult. Um, no, obvious. I'm not really saying anything that's going to surprise you. But if if Buck can get into 100 games for what I believe would just be the second time of his career, I think you really have to like the Twins' chances. Now, again, a lot of things still have to go right. Buxton doesn't alone carry the team's destiny in his hands, but it's a good first step. And, and we'll talk about health again in a little bit as far as bringing in a new trainer. But figuring out how much Byron Buxton will play is... And, and that's not a question that can be answered at the end of the season by just looking at his, his total of games played, whether it's 82, 102, 122. What I'm thinking, or what I'm trying to say with this point is, how does that plan evolve over the course of the season? You know, is he on place to on pace, excuse me, to play 140 games after April, but then that drops off in May and, and there's no consistency there. I want to see a plan in action, in play, that shows me that they are going to try and make this work all season long. Is there a target goal in mind of 100 or 120, whatever it is that's realistic? And are they going to take consistent steps to get there? And do those steps work? That's kind of a you know multifaceted thing to say or or way to approach it. But again, this is the most physically gifted player on a team that has playoff and then some aspirations. It's not that surprising that he's going to be uh, the linchpin for that. The second question, what will the timeshare behind the plate look like? Now, one thing I noticed this offseason was that the Twins made a lot of moves that was almost like a job shadow or an on-site internship. Now, here's what I'm saying. Bringing back Carlos Correa, well, that's the kind of player they'd like Royce Lewis to look like. Christian Vasquez, yeah, that's kind of what you'd hope someone like Ryan Jeffers would look like. And I think if you look at Joey Gallo, that's a very similar player to what you hope Matt Wallner will look like. It It, it kind of goes down the list. I just think that that specific dynamic... Will bear itself out in a catching timeshare where it's it's not going to be a platoon not not even not only not a strict platoon but a, the platoon doesn't really make much sense. They both do things similarly well. Now again, each of those things would probably be advantage Vasquez, but they're the same type of catcher. Better defensive than offensive, at least for now. Um, you know how do you how do you sort out playing time to keep both of those guys? going well um you know because matchups aren't going to be as much of a thing so i want to know how the timeshare behind the plate is going to go in terms of balance and i don't know how much that that really matters because you know we've seen timeshares where it was jason castro and mitch garver and at least that made sense because it was a lefty and a righty um you know when it was garver and jeffers a lot of times someone was hurt which uh you obviously don't want to count on But that's another reason why Gary Sanchez caught as much as he did, especially down the stretch, was because it was him or Sandy Leone. There was, um, you know, Jeffers wasn't around. He was dealing with some stuff at the end of the season. So what I want to see is is how does that timeshare evolve? Because with the sense that they gave Vasquez a three-year deal, I really don't think, short of Jeffers really taking the bull by the horns, whether it's during an injury period for Vasquez or an extended audition. It's really hard for me to see a way for Jeffers to wrangle that job away. But again, you've got two capable big league type players. Um, It kind of reminds me of if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. If you have two good catchers, do you really have none? Um, I think that's probably less apt to be true in baseball than football, but it's something to think about. Now, the last question I want to get to before we take a quick pause here is the medium term plan for the infield. Now, Jacob Tobin asked, When both Brooks Lee and Royce Lewis are both... When they're they're up in the big leagues, where will they play? Now, we'll touch on this in some form or fashion, I think, in a couple more questions here before we get out of here. But I think it's a valid question in the sense that at some point, they hope to have to make that decision. It might be September. It might be August at the very earliest, probably July, with Lewis's recovery going the way it is. But I wouldn't be stunned if... One of those guys plays third base and one plays second. Um, I personally think I would rather have Royce Lewis's athleticism at third base and probably Lee at second. But honestly, in that case, then is, is Jose Miranda moving over to first is Alex Kirloff moving back to the outfield. And again, suggesting that these are all going to pan out perfectly is also kind of antithetical to the idea that prospects are, are suspects until they prove themselves. But, it's fun to kind of dream on the future and what it's going to look like if they can have Jose Miranda up to speed, if they can still have Carlos Correa and his ankle intact. And then you add these two guys, I mean, you're potentially talking about an absolutely fantastic infield, regardless of if it's Miranda at first, Kirilov at first, whoever, Edouard Julian, who again, we'll probably touch on as well. Um, to me, what this looks like, though, is Royce Lewis at third and Brooksley at second. Is that spell the end for Jorge Polanco. Maybe eventually, maybe they're not in any rush, which is, uh, which is perfectly fine. But, um, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of where I keep coming back to, but you know, it's funny. Baseball can, um, can change these things on you in a quick hurry. Let's do this. Let's talk about FanDuel for a second. And, uh, you can see at the bottom of the screen, FanDuel.com slash locked on. If you are watching on YouTube, um, are you playing FanDuel? I have to ask because if you are not, first of all, um, are you waiting for this is the perfect time get in get your no sweat bet up to one thousand dollars uh so don't make don't miss your chance to get in on that but um you know we're coming up on march madness which for me is march sadness i cheer for the gophers first of all who are just dreadful and if i've ever done a bracket i'm just terrible at it so it's not so much madness for me except in the sense that i just know that nothing I want good to happen is going to happen, but that's the perfect time. If you think you've got, um, you know, the right pick for the bracket, or you like maybe, uh, some NBA action that's going on here as we come down the final stretch of the season. So again, go to fanduel.com slash locked on. And that's, that's your chance. Don't, uh, don't miss out on FanDuel. Now for, for segment two, I got three more questions and then we'll, we'll bring it full circle with four to, to wrap it up. Aaron Wyland wants to know, can the twins stay reasonably healthy? No, they didn't last year. I mean, there's no, there's no denying that 2000 plus days spent or games lost to the injured list. Um, you know, we saw periods of time where the twins felt like they were on their sixth and seventh and eighth outfielders. Um, you know, Tim Beckham playing left field, not exactly an ideal scenario, but they had to kind of roll with the punches. Um, the idea that they can stay healthy to me hinges on part of it's going to be just luck. You know, everything that went wrong last year did go wrong. But part of it too, that they've tried to address is bringing in a new trainer in uh, in Paparesta from Oakland. I, I can't say for sure that it will, it won't work. Nobody can. The health of athletes is tricky like that. But with that said, um, I think a, a lot of times you can make a move just to make a move. Cause sometimes you want people to be appeased by the action of trying something. I don't think this is that kind of move because if you look at the A's last year, I believe they were somewhere closer to like $700, 700 um, man games lost to the injured list or way less than half of the twins. So, you know, do you go to the source or does it come down to also too? you, you know, you've got some players who had some serious injuries. You've got some guys like Byron Buxton and Royce Lewis who have, been more susceptible to those injuries um if if they can stay reasonably healthy i have little doubt this is the best team in the division but what i like that they have done and we've talked about this here in the last couple days i think they're well enough protected like for instance if jose miranda comes out of spring training and his shoulder's still screwy kyle farmer can play perfectly reasonable defense at third base uh for however long it takes and you know, I, I don't think Solano can play there as much. It doesn't really have a strong arm, but they have enough depth where, you know, Joey Gallo comes into the infield if they need to move someone all over the place. You know, like he can play first, left, center, right. You can DH, obviously. Um, Miranda can play first or third. Farmer can play all over. Solano can play all over. Nick Gordon can obviously play all over. So I, I like the idea that even if they don't stay reasonably healthy, they shouldn't fall off a cliff, which is, um, you know, if we're honest, kind of what happened last year. So I uh, I believe they can stay reasonably healthy. I can't say for sure that they will, but they're going to have to answer that question and probably pretty early because, um, you know, it just felt like a, a, a storm cloud over this team for much of the season. And I think it started, for me at least, uh, you can either stay with Correa getting hit by the pitch or Buxton sliding into second and his knee being messed up for the rest of the year um, in Boston. And th- these things happen early. They kind of cast a pall on the rest of the season. So I really am hopeful that they start healthy, stay healthy, and show fans that this is actually a much better team than than what we saw on the field last year. Um, <laughs> user Albert Pujols, I get the sense this isn't the real Albert Pujols, but let it ride. Uh, He he asks if they miss the playoffs, are people on the hot seat? So that's, that's a good burning question for um, the twins to answer this season. Again, hopefully not in the sense that they do miss the playoffs, but you know, that's how we're going to get the most (laughs) affirmative answer. And then at the same time, if they win 98 games and make the playoffs, it's not as dangerous. I think it's possible. I think, you know, there's people that have asked me about on the hot seat now, and I, to me, that de- you know, I know that I know that Paul Molitor lost his job after a 78 win season. Rocco Baldelli's coming off a 78-win season. So I get kind of the parallels there. But at the same time, this is the guy they handpicked. You know, they stuck with Molitor for a couple years and then moved on. Um, you know, you can say they did him dirty, and I I don't know that I would necessarily disagree from the man-to-man standpoint. But at the end of the day, front offices are going to want their guy. And so I don't think they've soured on Rocco nearly as much as some of the, the fans have as far as, um, you know, not bunting, not stealing bases, pulling starters early. I, I don't get the sense that this front office is souring on him in any form or fashion. But, you know, one more year of uh, of struggling with the amount of, of resources they've put into this team, not only Carlos Correa. But making all these trades, and um, you know, not not only Pablo Lopez, but Jorge Lopez at the, at the deadline last year. You know, um, Tyler Malley. Those are significant resources that at some point need to produce results and haven't done so to this point. So, for me, the answer is yeah, they're probably going to be on the hot seat if this year doesn't go well. If there's another seventy eight win season, which I said yesterday is about the most uh, painful season for a fan because you can't get excited about the future. Cause it's not that exciting. You can't get excited about that season. Cause it's not exciting, but at the same time, you're not playing meaningful games in the dog days of summer. So yes, I think they could be on the hot seat. Um, you know, if this is another tough season, a couple, couple people asked kind of this general question. First uh, user, I am not suspended, which uh, begs other questions. And then another uh, person by the name of Chris Holland, want to know, Um, Should the Twins pursue a deal with Tyler Malley? Um, Chris Holland wants to know about Sonny Gray. I think, too, I mean, obviously, Kenta is eligible for free agency. The question I need answered here in segment two, before we kind of take a little different avenue with this in segment three, is... um, which of those three do they prioritize? Can they sign more than one of them? And how do they decide which one? To me, Tyler Malley is kind of the wild card there because you know, he's the kind of pitcher you look at the stuff and you want to keep him. But there's the shoulder. And shoulders are tricky. They really are. I mean, they ended Johan Santana's career. They ended a lot of guys' careers. Guys who were just perfectly good pitchers right beforehand. Um, you know, right now this rotation moving forward is Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez, and then the three wild cards that are all free agents. So in theory, you'd want to pursue an an extension, right? Well, Sonny, actually, Kent is going to be the oldest, but also probably the cheapest. Um, A lot will depend on how he pitches this season, his first year out of Tommy John. Now, what will be tricky too there is you won't know if any sort of hiccup is either due to age, injury, or some combination of the two. And if, if you expect on a second-year bounce back, but it's an age-based regression in addition to health, um, you know, you're know you doubling down on a guy who has a tough season. So Maeda is complicated, but at the right price probably makes sense. You know, Sonny Gray seemed like he wasn't that pleased with the number of innings he was allowed to pitch this last season. So I think it's worth wondering how amenable he would be to an extension what it would look like. Uh, again, it's the kind of pitcher you want to target. It's the kind of pitcher you want to keep around, but it's also the kind of pitcher you don't want to overpay for because, you know, he's had some health stuff. You know, he had the struggles in New York, which this isn't New York, but it just shows that every now and then he can have a hiccup. And he's not exactly young either. So, I mean, those those contracts for guys like that sometimes get a bit above your comfort level. You'd rather give that kind of money to a younger guy like Jose Barrios before as opposed to a guy who's aging and and best days are definitely behind him. So while I would have no problem with any of these three, for me, Tyler Malley is kind of the top priority. And, you know, it's not like Chris Paddock where he's hurt right now. And so it's pretty easy to gauge a one-year value and then a second-year value. With Malley, the, the options run the gamut. If he's healthy and is the best version of himself, you know, he's probably somewhere in that just below Luis Castillo, a former teammate in Cincinnati's level of like a hundred million dollars. And if he's not healthy, then you're going year to year, just trying to see what he's got left. I- I'm glad that I'm not the one who has to decide how to proceed with that because the middle ground where you want to wait and see will mean you'll lose pretty much no matter what. I'm like, Oh, I mean, unless you wait and see and he gets hurt and you're not going to wish for that. So, um, I don't know. I think in a perfect world, you'd sign all three, but we, we know based on something coming up here that, uh, you know, they've got enough pitching prospects they are not going to want to have that many guys, uh, that many cooks in the kitchen. But, um, I think I would go Malley first, Maeda second and Gray third in that order, just because I think with Maeda, you could probably go year to year. Um, you know, kind of like the Yankees did with, um, Hiroki Kuroda back in the day when it was Yankees or bust Yankees or bust did they meet his price if not he was just gonna be done he was just gonna retire I think Maeda's at an age and a level where he can pretty much do what he wants year to year Um, almost like a Zach Greinke type but um, yeah so I'm, I'm going Tyler Malley and I would pursue a deal with him if you could sign him for five years 65 million I'd probably do it but i Thinking that's probably shooting oh five. Well, five and fifteen is 75, 5 and 14 is 70. Yeah, five and thirty. I'd probably do that, but I don't think he would. So I don't know. That's um, that's what I would do. Uh, up next, we will discuss the last four questions. And we have a couple from Twitter, we have a couple that I came up with. Let's do that. Let's uh let's come back and we will close this off with the four final four of the 10 questions. Questions, easy for me to say the 2023 twins must answer. All right. We're coming down the home stretch with question number seven, Devlin Clark wants to know what this team's strength will be. I think it's going to be pitching like starting pitching because one through five, they're perfectly balanced. Any one of those top three or four guys could pop and be one of the 15 to 20 best pitchers in baseball um, you know the the definition of an ace is nebulous, but whichever direction you want to take that, they could have somebody pop off and do that. Having Kentomyaite as your fifth starter is a perfect luxury for any team, let alone one who um, you know has a few guys who may be more injury prone than you'd like. But Bailey Ober as the first man out, and I said this last night as well. You'd love to have Bailey Ober as your number six option to start. Sub four career ERA, almost a strikeout per inning. Um, starting pitching is going to be a strength of this team. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to make anyone forget about the Mets. Right. But maybe they can have a strength in numbers kind of deal where, you know, there's maybe no standout, but no, um, sore spot either. I think, I think that's a very realistic thing. I, I think a lot of people are higher on the offense than I am, but I just think this starting staff is going to be top to bottom, very solid. And it'll seem better, too, because we've just seen such struggles in the meantime waiting for this to happen that um, it's just going to be that much more sweet. Uh, so Aaron Weiland's second part of his question, I wanted to separate them because they're were, they were actually two very good questions. So he first asked, could they stay reasonably healthy, which was his serious question. His more fun one is, can they replace Luis Arise's production at first base between Miranda Kirilov, Edouard Julien, um, whoever, I mean, maybe Aaron Savato, he's been hitting, uh, or at least getting on base this spring, uh, but I digress. Uh, I think so. It'll be, it'll look different because two, um, dollar store, Luis arise in Donovan Solano is going to play some first base too. And, you know, if he gets out of bed, he's probably going to hit at least two eighty, which you know, that's, it's not Luis arise, but it's not, it's not that bad either. And, you know, again, they'll mix and match based on matchups and that sort of thing. And you would hope at least one of the three or four becomes the the de facto hot hand and just becomes the guy over there. Um, but with that said, you know, I think the wild card there is Julian. Uh, you know, he's he's a second baseman by trade, which is like saying Luis Arise is a second baseman by trade. Miami's going to mess around and find out, but I don't think that's going to go well. Um So again, you have to view Arise production through the lens of a traditional first baseman, but not be unfair to how he produces. But at the same time, swing back and not expect the replacements to do exactly the way he did it. So when you look at, let's see, Luis Arise in 2022, I want to pull up his fan graphs page because I want to see weighted runs created plus. I don't know it off the top of my head. So Luis Arise last year had a 131 weighted runs created plus. 20.9 Twenty point nine offensive runs, a three fifty weighted on base average, though a three thirty three expected. So there is some room for regression here. Um, you know, Babbitt boss obviously puts the ball in play and gets on base, which is going to give him a benefit there. Um, you know, some line drives and that sort of thing. But the 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 way I see his skill set aging is is not going to be easy. If he stops making contact for any reason. He's cooked. And that's, um, that's like any player though. If you take away their best tool, their best skill, they're not who they were before. It's foundational. It's obvious. It's not that not that surprising, but you know, he's got questionable knees and does he hit lefties well enough to play every single day? Can he play second base? Which I don't think so. And is any team going to want to have him playing first base over any sort of term? If they have a better first base prospect, that's more of a traditional prospect behind him. Um, I think the Twins can replace whatever Arise does this year, but I don't think they can replace what he did last year in terms of the one thirty weighted runs created plus. That's that's just too big. But I just I don't necessarily think that's the kind of player he is either. So, you know, maybe it seems like I'm talking a little bit out of both sides of my mouth. But I think I think Arise is going to take a step back, and I think that the Twins are going to be okay at first base to the point where I think those two things could level out but again they're gonna have to answer that question themselves this is just me kind of trying to uh, peek into my crystal ball to to what I think um second from the last which youngsters on offense take a step forward now this is this is going to be very important Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton are going to be counted on now to to what extent depends on health depends on any number of other things but then you kind of have that middle area, the Jorge Polanco's and the Max Kepler's and uh, you know Joey Gallo's probably in there too. Um, what can they do? They've been in both groups. They've been up top of the top and they've been even beneath where they are now. Um, but then you go into that next group. And to me, it's Kirilov, Larnick, Royce Lewis, Jose Miranda. Um, you could even go Matt Walner. You could go Edouard Julien. You could go maybe Ryan Jefferson is in that group, but he's on the bottom end of it. What of those guys are, which of those guys takes a step forward? Now we all know Jose Miranda had a nice season. So a step forward to him would be, you know, more consistency. Um, you know, not as rough of a start as he had last year. And granted being a rookie, it's not really fair to, to put that on his plate, but I want to see a step forward from him or a step forward from Kirilov, which might be as simple as staying healthy and hitting 265, 270 with uh you know decent pop, you know, some doubles. Trevor Larnick again, too, staying healthy. Can he do that? Um beyond that, yeah. Uh, you know, is Matt Wallner gonna get a shot? Is is Edward Julien gonna get a shot? What other youngsters are gonna get shots? Is Brooks Lee in that mix? Um, I'm curious which ones on offense take a step forward because I think. For this team to do what I think they're capable of, and if you remember my first show a couple of days ago, it's 92 wins, they probably need at least two of those guys to take a step. Now, again, that take a step looks different for each guy. For Jose Miranda, taking a step might make him one of the best third basemen or first baseman, whatever, in the American League. Whereas for someone like Matt Walner, it might just be uh, 100 weighted runs created plus and not striking out 35% of the time. They need at least two or three of those guys to take a leap for this to be the best version of this team. And they're going to probably find out again pretty soon, which of those guys will be able to take that leap and which ones won't. So the final question, assuming I counted correctly, which is never a guarantee uh, as some people might remember from the last program. um, I need to know which youngsters are going to step up and fill spaces left by a departure of a Mali, a gray, a Maeda, Um, you know, any of those guys now a built-in answer is Chris Paddock being one of those guys. And you, you certainly hope so, but after two surgeries, you know, all bets are off. Um, but I also too want to know is, uh, who, who's closest to helping you, you know, Bailey Ober probably is part of that backfill, but is he, does he have another leap to make, whether it's, uh, keeping the ball in the yard a little bit more, I think pretty much to me, that's it either that or stay, um, durable enough to be on the mound every fifth day. But Louis Varland, you know, what does his ceiling look like? You know, does he have an interesting enough repertoire to be anything more than a back-end number five starter? Uh, Simeon Woods Richardson, um, I don't think I mentioned him. My brain's not working tonight, though. Uh, but but anyway, uh, all these guys, and you got, can Jordan Balazovic do anything? Um, you know, is Blaine Enlo going to work his way back up? Th- they have enough guys who are at least semi-interesting that I want to see who steps up and fills the spaces left by any of those departures and those departures too. I mean, maybe in season, maybe Maeda has to go on the shelf and be shut down for a month. At that point, Bailey Ober's making a month worth of starts or Louis Vireland's making a month worth of starts or whoever, Um, you know, which guys will step up and which ones that we're not talking about right now will take a step up. Marco Raya is a guy that a lot of people love that's a little further down in the system, but, Every year, a guy like that pops and, you know, Twins fans cling to them as the next big thing. I'm curious who that's going to be that is uh kind of in the position that guys like Louis Varland and, and Simeon Woods-Richardson are in right now. One year from now, this is going to be fascinating. But in the meantime, the Twins need to answer these 10 questions. With that said, though, that, that's a wrap on Locked on Twins for March 9th. Thanks for hanging out. Make sure you follow at locked on twins, at locked on min, M-I-N for Minnesota, at Brandon underscore Warren, and make sure you subscribe on YouTube, like, give us a five-star review if you're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you find us. Um, we'd love to get some feedback from you again too. Be active in the comment section. I'll come hang out with you guys and uh we'll make this a, a very interactive experience. If there's one thing I want to be, it's um you know part of the family so um with that said this is brandon warren signing off saying thank you so much and do not forget to stop by tomorrow for locked on twins your team every day